0: You've selected a show from the Podcast
1: Jukebox, a DIY podcast network.
0: Cripple Content Creations and Podcast Jukebox present Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. With your host, Andrew Gerza.
1: Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability.
0: This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve the number one adult toy superstore, they reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy cozy and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie if you want for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag, and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then, on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So, to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com, you're going to go to checkout, and you're going to type in darkpod.com. Content and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. I'm, of course, your disability awareness consultant, your disabled dreamboat, your disabled Dick Smith. All those things, my name's Andrew Gerza, get comfy, cozy, and cripple with me, and let's get the show started. As you're listening to this intro, I am actually going to be in jolly old London town. I'm. I, I, it is the 19th when you're listening to this, and I have been there since the 16th, and I hope that it's amazing. I am recording this a little bit early, but I hope that it's great, I cannot wait to go. So as you're listening to this, I hope I'm having a spot of tea, because that's where I'll be, I'll be in London, and I I can't wait, Um, and I will report back with accessibility or inaccessible things when I return to Toronto next week. But that's where I am right now, so I wanted to share that with you. Yeah. I also secretly hope that when I'm there, the airlines haven't busted my chair and I'm not stuck waiting for some weird parts, trying to see London, but unable to because the airline fucked up my chair. So so pray for me and cross your fingers and hope that that didn't happen this time. Okay, so first things first, I want to give a shout out to one of our new Patreons for supporting the show at... One dollar a month, I need to thank our friend, our new Patreon friend, whose name is... Whose name is... Marisa Livingstar, which I think is an amazing name. Thank you so much for pledging one dollar a month, and for your pledge to help shine a bright light on this show. You're going to get the show one day early, so hopefully you're listening on the Patreon feed on the Wednesday before, and you're going to get a weird shout-out for me, which is Marisa Livingstar. Thank you for having such a cool name. I secretly wish my name was cool like that, but it's not. So that's my weird, awkward shout-out, and thank you so much for supporting the show. If you are listening and you want to support the show at... $1 $1 a month you get the show early and you get a shout out for me and at $5 a month you get to build a show with me where we can talk about topics you want to review you want or you, things you want to hear on the show that I haven't brought up, stuff like that. So if you want to do that with me, you can pledge $5 a month or really any denomination that you're able to. I appreciate whatever you can do. You can do that at at um, patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark On the show today, I have Sexuality Podcast Royalty, and I am the most excited to have this person as my guest on the show today, because I have admired their work for quite some time, and I just never thought that I would have them on my show, and here we are. So you may have heard this past summer I was a guest on Tristan Termino's show, Sex Out Loud, uh, which I, I loved doing and I've been on her show before, and I asked her if she wanted to come on my show and talk about her experiences as somebody with chronic pain, chronic back stuff, working in sex and, in sex and sexuality, and how her chronic pain affected her in doing that as a, as a working professional in the sexuality realm, and then also as just a person in the world, and we had a really great conversation. We talked about how we think that first class should be an accessibility issue, which I totally agree with when you're flying. We talked about corsets. We talk about sex and her back. We talk about her body. We talk about death. There's a whole lot of things that go on here, but it's a really, really important interview. And Tristan Termino is one of the, the most amazing sex educators out there today. And to have her on my show felt like such an honor, and I'm really excited for you to hear her conversation with me about her experiences with chronic pain, disability, and sexuality. So, I'm going to stop rambling and give that to you right now, right here on a brand new episode of Disability After Dark. Tristan Terramino, hello! Hi! Hi, I am... The most excited to have you on the show because you are a podcaster that I listen to regularly, and I, I was just recently on your show.
1: Yes, um, I've had you on my show twice, and so you have to catch up now. I mean, um, right? But the 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 fan girl boy person goes both ways here, Andrew.
0: That's I mean I, that's that's amazing because like because I told somebody this afternoon before I hit record. That I was having you on today and they were like, oh, Wow, you get the heavy hitters, and I was like, I know, but also we're just friends. I was like, oh no, we're friends, it's
1: cool. Yeah, I mean, it's like Yeah, yeah. You have my phone number. It's yeah, fine. Like
0: we we <laughs> it's, we hang out. It's it's fine. And if I was closer, we would hang out. Oh, yes. Airplanes. But, um, so I did a cool intro about you, which at this point I haven't recorded yet, but I will do a cool intro about you. Alright. Alright. That people will hear before they hear this part, but Tristan, introduce yourself to the Disability After Dark audience, please.
1: So my name is Tristan Terramino, and I'm a writer, public speaker, radio and podcast host. I have directed porn. I am an author of eight books. I'm the editor of 25 books. Shit. And I... I get. I mean, I just wear a lot of hats. I have a lot of different jobs, but really, under all the umbrella is sex education, right? So I do. I do it in all these different mediums, but I'm. I feel like it's sex education is the sort of overlying thing. So I consider myself a sex educator. I've been doing it for twenty years, um, which is wow, amazing because it makes me feel old and <laughs> I'm really glad to be here. That's
0: <laughs> first of all, I didn't know you. I didn't know you, first of all, I didn't know you edited all those books, and I didn't know you wrote eight. Wow.
1: Yeah, I've written eight books, um, and I'm working on my ninth as we speak. <laughs> That's amazing. Everyone's like, Andrew, write a
0: book, and I'm always like, really, though? Can I just, can it just be a podcast episode? I mean, do I need to write it down? How about I just speak it in a microphone for 30 minutes, and then you can see it that way. How about
1: that? Well, you could end up transcribing those and doing a book of interviews
0: that's i mean hey that's a great idea I, you can uh, have that one for free all right thanks thanks I'll, uh you can <laughs> charge me your consulting fee on the next one though but uh, but okay amazing so um and you've had some really you've had some really awesome people on your show like you you really like what i love about your show is that it has like the heavy hitters the people that we all know and then it's got like the people who no one knows about but you're like they have a cool story come on the show
1: yeah. I mean, I try to really balance it out. Of course, I, you know, I want the heavy hitters. I want the sort of Margaret Cho. And I've had Dr. Joycelyn Elders. And I just had just a few weeks ago, Olympia Dukakis, which was like, I was literally peeing in my pants trying I to talk was, to her. Yeah,
0: I was peeing in my pants <laughs> listening to you. trying to talk. I was like, what is happening?
1: I know. But then there are people who simply aren't being covered by mainstream media, mostly because they have you know, they're doing art, or they're making podcasts, or they're doing research, or they're doing sex ed, you know, on the margins in some way. And so they don't get the voice, they don't get the mic, quite literally, as much as other folks do, especially like white, able-bodied cis folks. And so um, I feel like it's important to balance that out and then like uplift people who you know, who you wouldn't necessarily otherwise hear of, who isn't like a regular guest on every podcast, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. And I do find like when you start doing the sex, the sexuality podcast circuit, I start looking at like, yeah, I've heard you on five of these. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yep. Exactly. So, like, it's ne- what I like about yours and one of the interviews that I loved of yours and somebody that I have had on the show before. Um, I know. I can think of her first name. I can't think of her last name right now, which is annoying, because I know who Cameron. Cameron. Cameron Glover. That's right. Yes, Cameron that Glover. that in color. Yes. Yes. Can well, like that was a fantastic fucking interview. She is doing the th- like just and the the two of you together talking to each other. I, like I was like I listened to that interview twice because I was like this oh. is like this is the stuff that people need to be hearing. So, Cameron, if you're listening to this, uh we both love you and you're great and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um but let's dive into you because one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you today, also, I should tell you that when I first pitched to you the idea to come on my show, I was like I, I was like how you were when you were talking to Olympia Cagas. I was like okay, I'm going to just email Tristan. I'm going to say just come on, we'll just have a chat. It'll be <laughs> it'll be great. But I was like this is like because, you know, it's – because I I view you as, like, a professional and then that I view me, which is not – I know it's ridiculous. But because of imposter syndrome, I'm like, oh, my thing is just a thing, but your thing is a real thing. So, like, I remember when I sent the email to you, I was like, what if she says no? What if she's like no? But well, –
1: Well, just – I mean, I have to say no some of the time, obviously. You know, first of all, I have to say no because I can't work 24 hours a day. Of course. And – as you know, as we know in consent, if I'm not a hell yes, then I'm a no. But of course I wanted to do this. And also, I think this is one of the areas that is one of the most important in terms of sexuality. It's still really underrepresented in sex education, in sexual media, in sexual discussions. I feel like this is a frontier that we haven't yet explored. We haven't gotten into it. You know what's
0: scary about disability is that we have explored it. We just ignore the fact that it's been explored. Like right. It, like, I would say that that mainstream thinks they haven't explored it, but if you talk to a disabled person, they go, oh, yeah, I know about that. Uh-huh. Yeah, fully aware of that. Like, it is being explored. We're just, we don't know how to market it to a mainstream audience because mainstream still looks at sex-like between two young, virile people who are totally but bodied didn't have nothing
1: going on. Right. Right. Yeah, it's true. No, it's totally true. You're and, right.
0: And so like it's 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 just so funny when I talk to other disabled people about what I'm doing, they like disabled people will come to me and say, "This is amazing. Like, thank you for this." And able-bodied people will come to me and say, oh, "Your show's great. I've never I didn't even realize that this was a thing." And just the, like the difference between the two communities is always so like jarring to me because Disabled people will tell me how they need it. And able-bodied people will tell me how they never knew they needed it, but here it is.
1: And that's why it's important.
0: Totally. Um, but that was a big long tangent for me to get to me for me to get to me saying. So you, you let me know in one of our email chats back and forth that you have chronic pain, um, and I'm just curious, Tristan, how does chronic how does the chronic pain manifest for you?
1: Right. So I have, I've always had uh, a, a, I'm just going to call it a bad back. Um, Like I've, I've had a bad back going back to when I was in my teens. I had a horseback riding accident. I was a competitive horseback rider and I was thrown from a horse. And first of all, I fell off horse like a million times, but you know, there's that one time you get thrown off and it doesn't end well. So I hurt my back really badly. You know, I was in physical therapy. I was young. I healed from it. And then, you know, the years go on and and like I would throw my back out, which is like a thing that happens to a lot of people. But starting in 2008, I started to experience chronic back pain and got diagnosed with degenerative disc disease, which is a pretty common thing also in that like our bodies are all basically degenerating right (laughs) the problem with mine is like it's degenerating faster than other people my age right and i also have a co um a co something which is that i have hypermobile joints oh which means that all my ligaments are like loose
0: so do, do you know if you have eds
1: i don't but I have hypermobile joints plus this bad, these bad discs in my back. And so the way that finally when I got to like an amazing doctor in New York City, the way that he described it was you have the spine of a 65-year-old and the flexibility of a 25-year-old. And actually that's bad because wow. there's just a tremendous amount of instability yeah. in your back. So so for 10 years, I've been dealing with chronic pain. I have been to physical therapy, um, acupuncture, chiropractic, Western medicine, injections, steroids. I'm in a three and a half year clinical trial for stem cell therapy. Um, I've kind of had everything, almost everything up to surgery. And my back can flare up with basically... All the things that I do for work, which is um, sit at the computer for long periods of time or sit for long periods of time, uh, traveling makes my back really bad. And of course, I travel a lot for work. And um, when your back hurts, it's like debilitating in a particular way, which is that you feel it in your whole body. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it's.
0: I know it from and, a different different standpoint of having like. I had a curved spine, and I, well, I still have a curved spine, but I had really severe, like, gonna-die scoliosis when I was a teenager. So I'm sure it's a different kind of back pain, but I, yeah, I understand, like, when your back hurts, that's it. Everything yeah. stops. Yeah.
1: And then for me, um, narcotics and opiates do work. You know, I, I want to acknowledge out there that there are people who are experiencing pain for whom pain meds don't work. They work for me, but, as you know, I can't, When I'm taking them, I can't drive, I can't work, I can't really think that clearly because they make me kind of dumb and dull. And like
0: drowsy, Um, yeah. And
1: actually, another thing is I can't have an orgasm when I'm on pain meds.
0: Oh, that sucks. So
1: it's like a conscious choice to be like, do I want to, how am I feeling today? Like, am I ready to make that trade-off?
0: So you literally have to be like, do I want to come today or... Do I want to
1: be completely... You know, mostly pain-free. Uh,
0: question: If you can come, does it help your back?
1: Hmm. No. I mean, there's a hit of dopamine there. There's like a there's a hit of you know happy chemicals, but it's not really addressing the underlining like inflammation and just. I just I just ended up with a bad back. It's kind of just like a, you know, a luck of the draw thing.
0: That's I mean, that's tough, though, because like when and also when I'm sure when you like talk to other people about your chronic pain and if you say you have a bad back, everybody goes, oh, well, you know, people have that. It's a thing. Don't it's no big deal.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, I've had a doctor tell me that. Oh no. A doctor who's like looking at my MRI and my scans and all the things who was just like, you know, he said to me once, this is like doctors not believing people are in pain, especially women and femme presenting people. And he was like, did you know that the number one reason people come to the doctor's office is back pain? And I was like, I'm sorry, you're a neurosurgeon at UCLA. Are you really motherfucking being that patronizing to me right now? Like, wow, wow. I've been dealing with this for 10 years. This isn't like a quote unquote backache.
0: Yeah, like like I'm not expecting you to give me a script for whatever and then I'm going to get out of here. Like, no,
1: it was a surgery consult and he was a total dick.
0: So what you're saying is he wasn't Derek Shepard and he wasn't beautiful <laughs> and he didn't want to make out with you on the table.
1: And he wasn't House, quite frankly. I mean, one of my favorite medical shows, which is a complete fantasy, is House, where an entire team of people literally stay up all night for days and days and days and try to figure out what's wrong. Wouldn't with you. It, okay,
0: as a disabled person who's dealt with the medical industrial complex most of my life, wouldn't that be an amazing thing if that really happened for us? Like if, if I've
1: like never gotten I've never even approached that street corner city, town, country. I've never gotten close to
0: that. No, I'll never get close to that. But it's like, I just wish that like somebody in real life would be like, yes, I want to create this and I want to make these doctors work for their money for real and Mm -hmm. make sure like somebody feels supported. That's all it is.
1: It's feeling seen. It's feeling acknowledged. It's feeling like someone is like on your side. Like, let's get to the bottom of this.
0: It's getting the doctors to be like, hey, doc, if it were you, what would you want? Mm-hmm. Like I mm-hmm. had the same experience last two years ago when I was dealing with, I stopped being able to pee. I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again. I stopped being able to pee and I went to go see the urologist and I had a indwelling catheter inside my junk which is like, it's, it hangs out there and it's all, the one with the balloon and all that stuff. So it was inside me and I go to the urologist and I said, hey doc, I'd like to um, maybe talk about a different option for this and I want to have my sex life back and I want to take this out can we talk about this he goes oh yeah I guess you would want that hey and I was like you guess I would want that what the what?" yeah Um, and I had to like sit with this urologist who you know it was you know doing his job but also like what are you doc like what if you couldn't masturbate anymore what if you couldn't like what if you had this thing hanging out your dick how would you how would you feel about that
1: Yeah. I mean, people in general don't see sexuality as part of the big picture, like part of the holistic, you know, like often when people complain about sexual side effects for medication, they're like, oh, yeah, okay. But look, like your problem's been solved. So who cares if you don't, you can't get it up or you can't, you know, experience pleasure or your arousal is compromised. They're like, eh, it's a side effect. Deal with it.
0: And it's what people don't understand is when those side effects like happen – you, you're like down and out. You, you get depressed really fast about like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I want that fucking, I want to I want to come right now and I can't do it and it's pissing me off. <laughs> like. Been there. Yeah. Yeah, I've also been there and I, I feel you pretty. So aside from not being able to come and dealing with all the things with chronic pain, how else does it affect your sex life?
1: Well, it's interesting because I feel like you would think because I'm super flexible, I'd be like, that would be fun in bed, right? Like you can bend Tristan in all of these different ways. <laughs> Won't that be fun? Um, and so there's there's a sort of a vigilance that I have to maintain, which is I my body can do that. But if I do it, I'm going to pay for it later. Yeah. Right? It's not going to hurt in the moment. And then it's going to hurt afterwards. And everyone, I mean, at this point, because I'm very open about my pain and it's been going on for so long. I haven't slept with anyone who doesn't know that I have back pain and who doesn't kind of ask about it and say like what, what's off limits or what positions are bad or what positions are better. Um, I think it definitely fucks with my strap on game. Um, I just, I love strap on sex. I love wearing a strap on. I love fucking with a strap on and Often when my lower back is really amped up, I can't do that. Or I could be in a position where I'm sort of less active as the penetrator, yeah. you know, but I can't be like in doggy style, like ramming someone, which is fun in it in, is, in the right context. Uh, it is fun. Um, When they want to be rammed. And um, I've definitely gotten used to like, I've worn a, a back brace during sex to help stabilize my spine. One of the best hacks that I've found of all, all, all time is a corset. Oh. So, you know, I'm, I'm kinky and a lot of kinky people love corsetry and love dressing up in corsets. And so I have a few corsets and I've worn them. And often people are like, oh, my God, you've been wearing that for seven hours. Like, God, you must be so uncomfortable. It's so tight. It's like, you know, and, and I'm like, actually, this is a back brace. And you think it looks amazing and sexy and fashionable, which I'm really psyched about, but I have tremendous stability and I will wear this as long as I possibly can.
0: So is it is it a corset or is it like actually a back brace? No,
1: it's a corset. But the thing is it for for corsets that are this isn't like a sort of, you know, Frederick's of Hollywood corset. Right. I'm talking about corsets that have boning in them, metal boning. Yeah. And this is what people used to wear you know, in before we had things like back braces or surgeries or all these other things is people would wear corsets. And it really does, it like improves your posture, but it also just gives me a tremendous sense of stability in my back. So I, it's like the, one of the best hacks ever for a bad back.
0: That's awesome. And, and I know people who are listening with bad backs. So maybe look into corsetry if it's possible mm-hmm. for you. And also yeah. they're sexy as fuck. I think people that can that can wear those, I can't, but I think that if you can, I'm all I'm a weird like I'm kinky but I'm also into like weird historical stuff. So when I see people like doing wearing period pieces from back in the day, I'm like, I'm into this. So maybe everybody with back pain or chronic pain that could use a corset should be into like yeah. historical sex kink. Is it a thing?
1: That could be a thing. Yeah. And I also think the thing about corsets is they come in a million different sizes, right? And they adjust because that's the whole point of lacing it up. So I think it's available to like a wide variety of bodies.
0: Amazing. I kinda wanna see a picture of this corset later.
1: Uh, oh, I've got pictures. I'm ready. Andrew, all I have to do is go on my Instagram at Tristan Terramino.
0: <laughs> Amazing <laughs> shame the slug. That will be in the show notes at the end. Uh, yes. Um uh, I had a question about something you were talking about. Oh, with partners, how do you... So when you say to a partner, like, hey, I have back pain, how do you bring that up? Because when you when it comes to, like, a more marked disability, and I'm not saying yours isn't... What I'm saying is mine is, as a wheelchair user, much more visible than, say, yours would be. So right. when I say I have, I have needs, people understand that differently than if you say, oh, I have back stuff. So... And this
1: yeah, this this kind of applies to to life and then also applies to sex, which is I have a so-called invisible disability in that I appear able bodied to most people, yes. right? I appear able- bodied. And so um I've had the experience, for example, where I asked a flight attendant to help me put my bag in the overhead compartment on a plane. yeah, and she literally just laughed at me. What? like, honey, I'm looking at you. You're standing in front of me. You are completely capable of doing this. And then like some random stranger helped me. Um, so I've had the experience where people are like, you're fine. I'm looking at you and you're completely fine. And yeah, of course, if I'm like, if someone just meets me and, and they see me, they can think she doesn't have anything wrong with her quote unquote. Um, so I definitely have to bring it up and, But I also feel like I need to set a boundary where where I feel like sometimes people want to sort of take care of me. Like they're like, is this okay? Or maybe we shouldn't do this. Or um, instead of saying, what are you okay with? And what are you not okay with? They want to sort of do the caretaking for me. And it's like, listen, I'll let you know. I'll let you know when my pain is at a nine and I can only do this. I'll let you know my pain's at a six. I'll let you know when I'm having a really good day. And you don't actually need to worry about it like I do. And I I know my body. And so I would rather I get to just call the shots than you sort of trying to quote unquote protect me, which I'm sure you have this experience as a disabled person that people are trying to like, protect you and this it's this sort of concern that's the way it's presented but it can be patronizing
0: oh it can be totally patronizing it happens to me all the time i'll be out on the, i'll be out on the street sometimes or i'll just be walking or rolling in my chair sometimes i use walking and rolling weirdly or interchangeably but uh i'll be on the street doing you know just having my day and people will randomly walk off to me and go hi do you need help and i'll just look at them and go uh no I'm good did I look like I needed help was I right do I look like I'm I no thank you but no and I like not the same thing but also also like similarly for you I'm sure like you know what your pain threshold is leave me the fuck alone and then when it hurts I'll tell you
1: yeah yeah exactly I mean th- they mean well I don't think that flight attendant meant well by laughing at me but no. the person stopping you on the street means well <laughs> it's just. Can be infantilizing. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just so weird. Like,
0: what? Like, and you know, it's always like two or three people on the street and they see me like just in my chair. And I know I'm not looking around. Like, I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going somewhere. And they will be like, hi, do you need something? And they'll pause and wait for me to be like, oh, yes, I'm so lost. Like, please help me. Mm. Good, able savior. Help me and save me from this scary world that we live in. Like, no, I'm just living my day. Like, I'm just doing my thing. And it's, so hard to discern. Like, I know you think you mean well, but you're actually being a big dork. Could you just like tone it down just a little bit? If I need help, if I like, even if I was nonverbal, I could find a way to, to indicate to you that I need help. Like, there's people don't realize that if I need something, I'll find a way to tell you. Like,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And if I if I if I am in a state of where you can help me, great, but otherwise, like, don't. You don't need to come off looking like the and the same with um, with the people that patronize you by asking you a million times what your pain's at, doesn't that just exacerbate the pain you're in? <laughs>
1: well, no, it just makes me frustrated, and frustrated Tristan is not sexy. <laughs>
0: I mean, I mean, like, you could do like a whole like, dom sub frustration thing. But That's true. That's yeah. true. I
1: could turn it around.
0: <laughs> but like, it, it's totally frustrating to have somebody always checking in on you, like. You sometimes you're just want to be left the fuck alone in your pain, whatever that looks like. Yeah, yeah. But also, like at the same time, sometimes you want to be. It's a, it's a, such a tenuous spot because sometimes you do want to be taken care of. And how do you, how do you, Tristan, balance the, like, sometimes you want care, sometimes you don't.
1: Yeah, this is really hard for me, and I pr- I probably um, hashtag fail more than succeed in this area i feel i'm really independent i have been since i was a kid and i'm not good for asking for help not good at asking for physical or emotional support not good about reaching out um and so it's really it's hard for me um I mean, I have it to this micro level where, like, when I go in and get that giant bag of dog food and I ask the person in the store who does it every all all day if they could carry it out to my car for me, that, like, they don't see my disability. And so they're like, is she just a bitch? <laughs> like, is she just an entitled princess who wants me to carry the bag of food? But I'm like, really, I can't carry a bag of 15 or 30-pound dog food. I can't. I can't carry anything over like three pounds.
0: The most Um, important question of this line of questioning is what kind of dog do you have?
1: Oh, I have two dogs. I have, both are rescues. I have a mutt who's a mix of a million things and I have a chihuahua. Oh, yay. Yeah. They can see, you can see them on Instagram. So I'm bad about asking for help. Um, You know, I feel like once you develop a support system, your friends just know, like I go to move something like at a party and my, some, one of my friends from across the room will be like, Tristan, don't do that. (laughs) And I'm like, right. Because my initial instinct is I can do it. That's my initial thing. I can do this and I shouldn't have to ask for help. And so it's really hard for me. It's just really hard for me.
0: Uh, it sounds like it, but uh, but I also want to tell you, as somebody who has had to hone the skill of asking for help all the time, asking for help is a form of independence. So I think mm. that if you start to like foster that idea, you asking for help is you saying, "I can I can do this, but I need you."
1: You know, it also feels like a real mismatch for me. It's like the thing that I'm grappling with right now a lot, which is my brain and my psyche and my soul are moving at one speed and are hyper capable. Yeah. And my body, I feel like, is literally dragging behind me. It's betraying me like it's not keeping up it can't keep up
0: it's not keeping with the promise that you that it made that it made to you when you were younger which is like I'll be here for you just like, yeah
1: yeah like I'm not asking to be on like American Ninja Warrior like I'm not asked I don't feel like I'm asking a lot from my body but I it won't it won't deliver what I need it to it won't do what I needed to do and that's like really painful for me and I don't even know that I'm like fully through the kind of acceptance phase of that
0: oh yeah and and I'll tell you as somebody who's a wheelchair user and has been identified as being disabled from like day one from like second two um well from before that (laughs) but like I you know that that sense of loss and that sense of grief you're talking about never really goes away like it's I'm Proudly disabled, and I'm you know 35, and I do what I do because of my disability. But it doesn't mean that there are days where I'm not like, fuck all of this shit. I hate it so much. Like, why can't I just do X? Mm -hmm. And there are moments where I where I will sit on my screen and I'll cry because I'm like, this is not what I'm. What this is not what my 35 year old peers are doing. They don't have to deal with this. Why do I have to? And you do have moments. So you may. Find that you'll have moments where day, days were great and days were like fuck everything, which is, you know what? If welcome to disability. Your handbook will be in the mail. You've that's <laughs> that goes that kind of goes part and parcel with becoming um, disabled. And so, you know, I say I think it's healthy and I think it's good that you're feeling these things and I think that you grappling with a new way to be independent is okay. Yeah. Um, I think it's okay and I think you can be upset about it, I think you can be angry about it, I think I also think that you talking about it on social media platforms is really great because we need more of that. We need people, especially in the sex in the sex in the sexuality industry. We need people who are like, Oh yeah, I have this Um, but I also like to do this with my body too and let's get naked sometime and talk about these things together. Like, it's really those are, things are really important. So I think the more and more you get, you get comfortable with this new way of seeing your body and kind of embracing the chronic illness slash disability thing, it might make it easier for you. Mm. And also, you'll find community you might not have found before.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good point. It's a good point. It's
0: like disabled Twitter is on fire. Just go on disabled Twitter for five minutes, and you'll like, you'll meet your best friend for life because. We all have each other's back on there, and I've said this a bunch of times on the show. Disabled Twitter is where, like, everybody with any kind of chronic illness or disability goes to bitch about their stuff, and everybody's like, yeah, me too. Let's talk about that. So it's a really good resource for that.
1: Yeah, and there are some good role models. I do want to shout out um, Shanna Katz-Katari, who... um, who deals with a variety of chronic illnesses and also is a super smart and super like amazing femme. And on her good days, she is like unapologetically like look how my nails my eyeshadow and my dress are totally coordinated and looking fine so there are like these she really celebrates herself and her body when she's having these good days and then she's really honest when she's like i'm having a flare-up and i'm fucking miserable
0: oh yeah and i and i i don't i think we follow each other but i don't think we've interacted and i've seen i've seen her stuff on there and she does do some pretty awesome things like like, and I, you know, I, I I'm i doing the same thing with my Twitter now. Just being like, you know what? Let's talk about this. Let's talk about if you can't take off your shirt and you can't go to the gym, you're still, you know, fuckable. If you can't, you know, do X, Y, Z, you're still worthy of sexual attention. Like, I'm really trying to bring that into my Twitter space because I think mm. we to talk about this shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Um, so... What else did I want to ask you How else does The chronic pain Like what Is there a part of chronic pain That makes sex Better for you I know it's a weird question
1: No <laughs> Okay I um, mean But I do feel like But on that point Because I'm kinky I do feel like There is a difference Between Pain When I'm like Super aroused And someone is like Spanking me Or Putting needles in my chest Or pinching me Like that feels very distinct from the kind of pain that feels debilitating to me can you
0: describe for me and for the audience so what is the difference between because people talk about this all the time we i've talked about this a little bit with other people on the show what does what is the difference between chronic fuck my back is hurting pain versus like kinky pain
1: right I mean, fuck my back is hurting. Pain for me is a lot of nerve pain, so it's like burning, stabbing. Um, it's not like an ache or a, it's like a burning, stabbing feeling, and, but when I'm really turned on and someone like smacks me on the ass or. When I'm doing like a favorite, probably the most favorite thing I have that I would bottom to is, is piercing, is play piercing. Um, it kicks in these endorphins and my entire body feels like bathed in these happy chemicals and the pain is like elevated to a, it's not pain. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like pain. It feels like a sensation. It feels very intense but it doesn't feel like pain. And, and the context is so different. Like, you know, you think, oh, if you're into needles, like you love going to get your blood drawn or someone like putting a needle in you. And I'm like, no, no. no. <laughs> the context is all wrong. Like I don't have a relationship with that person and we're not doing a ritual. And it's usually because something's wrong that, I'm, that someone's sticking me with a needle. And so it's the context I feel like matters also. Like pain can be contextual.
0: Oh, I totally. And I think... The more and more I do my, like, the more and more I, I kind of explore my own sexuality and my kinks, like, I'm really into choking. But if I were choking or being choked by somebody in a, in a non-sexual dangerous way, I wouldn't be like, yeah, this is hot. I'd be like, right, we need to fix this right now. <laughs> like, somebody fix this. And, like, the same with my IBS. Like, I find when I'm about to have sex, my IBS, if I'm comfortable and relaxed with the person, my symptoms of IBS go away. But if it's a new... Like experience my body's like oh, okay how do I manage that so like I definitely right. understand the 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 link between like what is good pain and what is bad pain but it's the way you described it is perfect because it, it it's not pain but it's just on the cusp of pain but it feels good mm-hmm. and I mean that's that's a feeling that I think anyone who deals with chronic pain should try to if they can, if they're lucky enough to have a partner that wants to go there with them, um, they should try that out because it can change the way you look at pain in your body for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I also wanted to ask you, so you do a lot of stuff in the working world as a sex educator. How does your chronic pain, like we talked a little bit about tra- how traveling on planes and how like sitting will, can affect that, but how else does your chronic pain affect kind of your ability to be productive in this in this industry?
1: Well, I would say that, like, the first thing is t- totally superficial and shallow, which is that I can't wear high heels. <laughs> and <laughs> that high heels for me is, like, part of my gender expression as a femme. And um, so I have to pick my outfits to entirely revolve around flat shoes and boots. So I'm just going to be superficial there and say that sucks. Um, I think of course, I, high
0: heels are awesome.
1: I know. I, I have to build in time. Like, I, I feel like if I'm going to be standing for three hours, I have to have a chair nearby and I have to take breaks. I have to build in time afterwards and know that if I'm – You know, like I just spoke for six hours uh, in May at, um, with one break in between at University of Michigan, but I had my chair and my special pillow and I was like, I will sit down at any point if I'm starting to feel fatigued because usually standing as long as I'm moving around is okay for me. But there are times when standing is also really painful for me, especially if I'm standing on like concrete or concrete with a tiny bit of industrial carpet over it. Okay. Um, I also feel like the. I feel like there's this one thing that is really complicated for me that I haven't been able to figure out, which is if I could fly first class, I have um, more room, I have better support in the chair, and I can always check a bag. And there, there's like basically, I, I consider first class humane and yeah. everything else inhumane so I, I just want to put that out there that I have I don't consider first so class luxury I no. consider it humane Yeah, but I feel like if I asked people to fly me first class first of all I would lose jobs and second of all they would be like she is a diva this is like a recurring theme right of not wanting to be seen as Whatever, too
0: much, and like yeah, your writer is twelve pages long. And so
1: I'm like waiting for someone to write like the definitive think piece on the internet that says like first class is an accessibility issue.
0: Let me get my let me just get on my keyboard and start (laughs) typing that out because I have thoughts about that and they all match with what you just said. First, K, I and not even first class, the bulkhead seating on planes pisses me the fuck off because you can purchase those seats, but. If I, as a disabled person, call their medical desk and say I need the bulkhead seats for me and my caregiver to fly, they'll go, oh, sorry, someone bought them out.
1: Mm. And it's like, Jesus fucking Christ. How is that even ADA compliant to be able to sell them all?
0: I mean, I don't even know. I don't know. But it happens in airlines all over the world. And you know what? Disabled people and people with chronic illness should be given, you're right, first class without the blink of an eye. It should be made into a standard accessibility policy that says you and that says you deserve it and I just think it pisses me off to my core to know that to to now know that you need it and can't get it. And if you ask for it, you come off like a bitch. So, people that are booking us, if we ask you for disability accommodation things for us to get there, like I don't know, first class and we tell you that it's for an access need, please give it to us. That's it.
1: It's so simple. I mean, I also want to say, like, I've complained about all these things. Now I feel like I'm a complainer. <laughs> Obviously, like, I just want to say, like, I have incredible privilege to be able to do the work that I do and support myself. And I am white and I am cisgendered and I am queer. And. I am middle class and I have a lot of privilege. So I don't want people to think that I'm being cranky and not self aware. (laughs) Okay.
0: Amazing. We 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 got that. We got that. Okay. Okay. But you're allowed to be cranky and chronically (laughs) and in chronic pain and cranky. You're you're again, go on disability Twitter and that is what you will see when you're on disability twitter. Cranky people in chronic pain putting out amazing things. But yes, airlines and People that are hiring us put out the money to make us comfortable because our comfort as chronically ill, as chronically chronic, as people with chronic pain and disabled people is completely different than able body comfort. I'm not Mm -hmm. asking you to, we're not asking you to be divas, and maybe a little bit we are. You know what? Sometimes I'll be real about it. Sometimes, yeah, I am because I deserve it. You want me to go up on stage in my case as a speaker, you want me to go up on stage for an hour and a half and you want me to give you Sex and Disability 101. You want me to give you the speech that I've given a million times before, which I'm very thankful and, again, also privileged to do, but you're using me, you're tokenizing me and my experience to get to check your box. I know that. You know that. So, when I ask you for a little extra bucks so that I feel okay, or so that I can stay longer in a, in a hotel where I'm comfortable there's a reason why and you should you should figure that out in your budget and if you can't you can't but try amen that's all I'm going to say I, I went off on a bit of a rant there because what you're saying <laughs> what you were saying hit some nerves for me there but um, I mean you deserve I think that you should get first class flying things yes
1: I mean, also some universities actually prohibit it. Like they will not fly anyone first class. It's like in their bylaws or something. Oh no. And I feel like that, again, it needs to be challenged. Like what does it mean to fly someone first class as an accessibility issue versus as a quote unquote luxury issue which again I want to say people first class is not luxurious they just treat you like a human being make eye contact with you and the chair is really roomy and supportive yeah also
0: disabled people (laughs) deserve fucking luxury so you know what (laughs) so you know what yeah put me in that first class seat and I want to have all the ice cream that I want for that flight figure it out because you know what we we deserve some luxury too that's all I'm going to say about that because 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 um there's something I wanted to ask you. So you, so you, I, in, the, in the thing you sent me, you also said that you identify as temporarily able-bodied. So like, what is that? There are so many different ways we could categorize disability, but what does temporarily able-bodied mean for you?
1: Right. I think in my personal and internal work around social justice and around marginalized communities, I feel like, one of the things that i've learned is this binary that's been set up of able-bodied versus disabled is a false binary like a lot of binaries um because we all are going to experience disability right at some point in our lives uh we live i I believe we actually live too long right now um (laughs) i really don't want to live to be 100 i don't because I don't know people who are 100 and have like a great quality of life. Most people who are 100, you know, don't. This brought up like three questions that I wanted okay, to do. Okay, but, okay but, great. So, um, So I feel like I have to identify as temporarily able-bodied because that is what I am. Like it's not a permanent or fixed state. Yeah. But I feel able-bodied enough, I guess, to identify to not identify as disabled. I don't know why I don't identify as disabled. Um, I guess I have that thing where I feel like there are, there are people dealing with so much worse than me and I don't want to, it's like the reason, so I have, my dog is an emotional support dog. Amazing. And people are like, hey, just get him the vest and he can be your service dog. No, And I'm like, actually, I'm totally against that. <laughs> because it's fucked up and it ruins it for everyone else. Right. And it it actually, it actually disrupts the whole idea of people who have service dogs and, and need them and need to be able to fly on planes with them and, and, and need them every, every single day. He provides me a ton of anxiety relief for sure, but, um, he's not, he's not a definition of a service dog. And so I guess I feel the same way about identifying as disabled. Like I'm not disabled enough to identify as disabled.
0: I would challenge you and say you are too. When you're ready, if you want to, you can totally use that terminology because if you feel disabled in some way by your body or the world or however you want, like particularly in your case, your body or your back, and you saying disabled is going to get you some things you need, fucking wear that like a badge of honor and, and, You know, it's not something, and I know in our culture we spend so much time, like, vacillating about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. It just is what it is. Some days it's great, some days it sucks balls. But to say that I'm disabled has brought, for me personally, brought me, like, community and and friendship and, fuck, it brought me a job. It brought me sitting here, across from you, having this conversation, so... I think that it could open more doors for you when you're ready, but also identifying as you want is also your choice, and I think disabled people have a right to to use whatever language they want around their bodies,
1: yeah, yeah
0: um so my questions from from you not wanting to live forever are, do you know what cool things you would do at your funeral or what you would want people to do at your at your like celebration of life
1: okay, yeah, um. I mean, I feel like I'm I'm pretty sure I want to be cremated just to take up less space in the world. Um because like, I don't know, I don't have like a religious tradition that says like I have to be buried in the ground or anything like that. Um I mean, there I think the number one thing that people would would know is that I'd want it to be celebratory. I'd want people to be happy. And I'd want if, if they want to say amazing shit about me, I would like you to do that when I'm dying, not when I'm after I'm dead. Yeah, <laughs> I would like to hear all that shit before I die.
0: Hard. And thing. there has Hard to be
1: thing. amazing dessert.
0: Yeah, because
1: that's my that's my jam.
0: Like that's why Celebration of Life is my thing. If I'm going to go, I want to be at the party before I go. And yeah, I, I want to eat yeah. all the shit with you and have the laughs and the tears and then I'll go and it'll be fine. Um, um, For sure. What else did I want to ask you? Yeah. So like, uh, do you know what, what this, this is such a weird question I'm not meant to be morbid in any way, but like, it sort of is. But so like, what age would you want to be like, and you're like, yeah, that's it. I'm done. I've had it. It's over.
1: Well, that's now that is a really great question because um, my mother is about to turn 79 She's incredibly sharp and spry and 100% mobile. Um, By the way, chronic smoker, pack a day. Don't know what that's about. Um, wow. Hi, mom. I love you. Um, She's very healthy for her age. And, and she can get around and she has a dog and she can go up and down stairs. And she can't, like, pack a box of books and carry it across the room. But she can do a lot of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I kind of want to be... I want to be in a place where I have more joy than not joy. But I also don't feel scared about, like, when I see these people getting older and they're like, I totally need a hearing aid, but I'm too proud to wear one. I'm like, but I want to hear the music and I want to hear my TV and I want to go to movies. So, like, slap me with the hearing aids. And so it's – so for me, like, I don't feel like – um if I if I ended up in a wheelchair, then I would be like, "Kill me now." I
0: if hope I not. <laughs> ended up on life
1: support, maybe I would be like, "Okay, my living will says I can go now." But I I feel like there are certain accommodations that you can make and still have a life that you measure in your own way as joyful. And I feel like that you you've got to measure it. You know what I mean? Like you've yeah. got to measure what the joy is. Yeah. And if it outweighs the kind of the bad or the struggle.
0: And you know what? Disabled joy is a thing. So if if you, if you, if at some point in your life, and I feel like given what your disability is, this may come sooner than later. If you end up being a wheelchair user, I'm going to be right there with you being like, let's pick this one. It's really cool. Let's, let's pick the coolest color. What does it do? It's like, like people don't understand that picking a wheelchair and picking a mobility device is like fucking disabled Christmas. It's, greatest thing ever and I think people that are proud and scared should like see it as a a really important thing and so you were talking about the people that are proud and scared about how they don't want this but they want to be able to hear something or they they want to be able to experience that's why I think you coming into like language that embraces your disability more will help you be able to experience something with less of this like fear or discomfort around calling yourself disabled because What what I've learned from just doing disability justice work, which feels weird to say because I've never really couched myself as that way before, but doing disability justice work, you see people, like, just loving their disability and loving all the bad shit, too, but being able to experience it through a disabled lens changes their world.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's, it's, like, this interesting balance for me, like... On the one hand, I want assistance. I, there are certain kinds of assistance that I will wholeheartedly accept, but then on the other hand, like I don't want you just keeping me alive to keep me alive. Yeah, which yeah. I feel like is a thing now in our culture, where it's like, well, if they can still breathe on their own, they're good. It's and like,
0: no, what is the quality of life?
1: I like, know that's what I mean. Quality, so yeah,
0: I know quality of life beats out quantity for sure. If I'm if, yeah, if if my health starts to deteriorate tomorrow. And at 36, I got to go. I'm out. Like I've made the decision like, okay, I'm done. I have my time. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for being with me. I'm, I'm like, there we go. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to be vegetative and I don't want to be stuck in a, in a body that is more disabled than this one. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because then what, are, then what is my quality of life?
1: Right. Yeah. So for me, it's about making choices. Like, I will, I'm will. I happy that you have the technology to build a wheelchair and I will take that. But I'm not happy that you have the technology to like keep someone alive when their brain is dead.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because you we just need to let people go and like yeah, like disable people and chronically ill people. And we, you know, our death rates are quicker because of our stuff and our systems are fucked. But we also, what I've noticed is on the flip side of that, we have better lives because we know we have to pack everything in really quick because <laughs> we don't have 75 years to like, wax and i'm about whatever we got maybe 60 so we gotta do it real fast
1: <laughs> also i'm like i feel like i'm hurling towards 50 very soon i'm 48 but um so i i also have i i'm having that moment of thinking like have i do i have any regrets like and i don't think i do
0: i mean i'm sure you do but but it's fine that you
1: but yeah. it's more not regret than regret yeah
0: which is great um so I did want to ask you, but one of the things you put in the thing, which I love how you how you put this. So you you have a severe sen- sensitivity. Um, and yes. What is? Tell me about that.
1: So, um, well, first of all, when you're like growing up and you have this, people just think you're weird. Like I can remember being a kid in the eighties and people are like, what's the deal? <laughs> so I feel like it's been around for a while and then it just gets worse as I get older. The biggest issue for me is commercially produced perfume and cologne or, perf- or products with a lot of perfume, fragrance, cologne. I I haven't like narrowed it down. I I feel like there is like one chemical or one combination of chemicals because if someone has like on and like an essential oil, for example, it doesn't do it. But there's something about commercially produced perfume and cologne that gives me an instant migraine. I feel like I'm going to vomit. I can't open my eyes and I'm like down for the count.
0: That sounds horrible.
1: It's horrible. And so, you know, one of the things that was so amazing is when you can create your own world, like you get to call the shots, right? So anyone who ever like comes to my house, they know not to wear perfume or scents, right? They just do. They they know like that's a Tristan thing, right? Yeah. And on my porn sets, for example, there were just like three rules on my porn set, like please show up on time and please you know <laughs> and one of them was no sense for the crew or the cast. And everyone honored that. And in fact, someone came to the set, incidentally, who wasn't like on the crew and someone told her and she immediately like went and like washed her neck and her wrists and her body and then came to say hi to me. Um, Oh, yeah. See, that's how you do it. No. Yeah. Yeah. Someone else, you know, kind of like does it for you. Right. Like, oh, this is just this is Tristan's thing. And and you're not going to be able to actually like hug her if you have perfume on. So I think what's hard, I, I do feel like a lot of social justice spaces are committed to saying, please be sent free or low sent. Um, it is hard to share public spaces where I'm back to the airplane now, public spaces where I can't move. You know, if I'm on a train, I could move cars. Yeah. But if I'm on a bus and everyone's already seated, or if I'm on an airplane and someone next to me has like a ton of cologne on, I'm pretty miserable. Oh, pretty totally. much. Yeah,
0: yeah, cuz it's a what a 5-hour flight cuz you're going out of LA. So pretty, pretty much anywhere you got to go is at least a 5-hour flight.
1: <laughs> no, I could go to Chicago in like 3 hours or something. Um, but so yeah, so I I just I've had this for a really long time and it just makes me really sick. But it's not to the point where like I have very no or low scent body products, but if someone has a scented deodorant, for example, that's not going to bother me, unless I'm having sex with them and I put my nose under their arm. I I would say that with my lovers, I ask them to just wash if they have clo- if they have deodorant on to wash off first because I I like the smell of sweat me and I do too. like to like shove, shove my face in a smelly armpit. That's like a turn on for me, me. so I, I I need you to. I need you to do it so that I don't have like a nose full of scent and then feel sick. And I also like a dirty smell.
0: I mean, I'm having sex <laughs> later tonight and I'm going to be doing exactly that and thinking of you when yeah. I do it.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so yeah. So usually if someone's like in clothes and they're wearing deodorant, that will not bother me. But if they're naked and I stuck my face under their arm, that would bother me.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit to, to one of the last things I want to ask you about. Uh, So how are you learning to integrate kind of being temporarily able-bodied and being chronically in chronic pain into your, like, into your work versus then just, and I love the way you frame this, versus then just, like, adding it in as an addendum. How are you, like, what steps are you taking to make kind of that community part of more of what you do?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that I've had the you know, the privilege of being in rooms full of really fucking smart people. And, um, and I've seen, I understand the deep connections here. It's like, I went to a seminar that was, I think the title was like, you can't be anti-racist and be ableist. Like it, then, then it it cancels it out. right? Like all of these issues are intersecting and we have to address them as one, not as these kind of separate things. So for me, if I'm going to create a space like a workshop or an event, I feel like I have to think, I have to say, I want to make this accessible to as many people as possible. And then I have to define accessibility in all of these terms. I want it to be accessible to people who are immigrants who English isn't their first language, who are disabled in some way, who have different body sizes, who are different races and ethnicities, who are different classes and can pay certain amounts or not pay certain amounts. Like accessibility as as a concept and as a framework encompasses all of these things, right? And so I, I instead of just kind of at the end going, oh, wait is there a wheelchair accessible bathroom? (laughs) You know, like one of this, I learned this, I had this huge learning experience, which is when I, um, did the feminist porn conference. I did it at the university of Toronto and in advance of the conference, because I I was in, I think I was in New York at that point. Yeah. In New York. I said like, I, I need all the rooms to be wheelchair accessible and I need there to be a close by, um, wheelchair accessible bathroom I felt like oh I've I've got my shit together on this right so then I got there and a whole bunch of things happened I heard about
0: this I heard about this
1: (laughs) okay one is um as it turned out you had to go outside the building and then back inside the building in this really roundabout way to get to the bathroom so able-bodied people could walk one to four minutes to get to a bathroom and disabled people would have to like plan ahead for like 15 minutes, which was really fucked up. And I was sort of relying on the people kind of on the ground who were not looking at it with disability justice as a framework, right? Then they said to me, this, this room is wheelchair accessible, but it turned out it was accessible to certain kinds of wheelchairs. If they were a certain width, but if someone had a big rig, I call it a big rig, right? Like a big motorized rig with like wheel, big wheels. And it, you know what I mean? Then that didn't fit through the door. I but that. someone in, in a traditional or like a manual wheelchair, a I guess. A chair, like a, yeah. Yeah, they could get in. And so all of, like sort of on the spot, all of these issues came up and I was like, okay, how do I deal with them as the organizer Um, and one case in a class that someone couldn't get into the classroom, I moved, you know, 70 people to another room, which is like herding cats. But I was like, we have to move so that this person can go to, we have to move, you know, like we can't fix the room. I can't do anything to the room. So we have to change the room and move all these bodies so that more bodies can get in. Um, but it was a huge learning experience. And I felt like, one of the presenters and this professor at university of Toronto, um, who is disabled really helped me see like all of my blind spots. Like I wasn't even, I wasn't asking the right questions. I wasn't looking at the right, you know, floor plans. I wasn't, I was saying, Hey, is this wheelchair accessible? And they were saying yes. And I wasn't going any deeper into that. Yeah. And so I just learned so many lessons about, how to even just ask the right questions and you know it's and and be thoughtful about it beyond this kind of like is there a wheelchair accessible sign okay we're covered yeah yeah and I think that's I think
0: people don't go deeper and that's all that's all when when it comes to accessibility like I love the idea of I love what you said about what does accessibility mean for each marginalized group like, mm-hmm. Or each group generally. What does it mean? I love that because that never happens. We do stop at accessible Accessible means wheelchair. Um, and I want to just make the point that universal design, this idea of universal design is not tangible. It doesn't work mm-hmm. because everybody's needs are different. So right. what we need to be doing is focusing on what I refer to as like disability-driven design where disabled people and other marginalized people, their needs Start building from there.
1: Well, if a disabled person was in the room while I was like doing this, right, talk about people needing to be on the board and in positions of power. Yeah. They would have said to me, Tristan, did you know there's no standard width of a wheelchair? That it can vary from this all the way to this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is this is information that when you're when you don't use a wheelchair, you don't know. And so I feel like this is why disabled people need to be in the room from day one
0: from the job. Cause then yeah. I
1: would have known about this bathroom situation where they had to go out, you know, that they, they would have said, Oh, that, well, it says it complies with like basic law, but it's kind of fucked up.
0: It's a, yeah. Yeah. And uh, basic, we could get into disability law too. It's, it's all so much. Fuckery. Yeah. Um, but I love that you are kind of using, do you think you, you've used this experience kind of with chronic pain and your experiences to, has that opened your eyes to how you want to like change your not change but integrate the disabled experience into what you're doing?
1: Yes, because I and I think this is like a truly sort of individualistic and fucked up thing, but when you experience something on a personal level, like then you're more you're, you get more invested in it. Yeah. I feel like I'm invested in it on a personal level but also on a political level because I feel like in the sort of activist and social justice circles that I'm in, um, this is absolutely an issue that is discussed. Like, I don't, you know, I don't get an email about a meeting without there being a blurb about accessibility, right? At least for the groups that that I go to. Yeah. And And I don't get a meeting about a play party without saying there's two steps up.
0: Wow, because I get things about my buddies all the time that are like, "Oh, right. you needed help? Oh, sorry." And right, I, I and so
1: you know, I feel like there is like some good modeling out there, and so I feel invested in it personally, but I also feel really invested in it politically. That this can't be a sort of afterthought. This yeah. has to be baked into the original recipe,
0: and it also has to be something that isn't just. And for all like social justice people listening, this kind of like. Commitment can't just be lip service. If you're gonna mm-hmm. do, if you're gonna do something about this, even if you fail, try your hardest. That's right. it. That's all we. That's all I, as a disabled, as a disabled activist, want you to do is to try your hardest. And if, if it doesn't work, I get it. But if you tried, I'm gonna give you that gold star and not blast you on social media for your ableist crap. But if you don't try and f- then just say, well, well, you know, we had someone in here. Well, that, that doesn't fix anything. You need to. Right. Uh,
1: You need to really give it a shot. And also that takes resources. You know, it's like if you want your class to be accessible to people who are hard of hearing and deaf, you have to pay for an interpreter, which is fucking expensive. Yeah. But that's what you need to do. And if you or you have to like rent some kind of ramp because maybe everything's accessible except this one thing. But if you rented and
0: step to the bathroom, so somebody can pee.
1: Right. And you get a ramp, then you could then you suddenly have made the space now all accessible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It just takes it takes some forethought. And if any so- sexual social justice people are listening, hire us. We'll tell you what we need. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, this was fun. Is there anything else that you want to share with us, Tristan? Because I feel like you have so much. We could talk for another hour.
1: We could we could talk for another hour. Um, no, I feel like I, you know you're one of the people that I've learned so much from, and I, I just want to sort of acknowledge that, like we're all always learning, and sometimes we're learning, and it's really painful, like my experience at University of Toronto, and and sometimes people really are like doing the labor to educate people and to make them aware of what's going on. And I feel like you're one of these people who is like, I'm putting in the labor to talk to a whole bunch of able-bodied or non-disabled people and tell you all how you can do better and how you can think about these things in different ways. So I just really, I thank you for the work that you do and for the work that other disabled activists do, because I feel like it's really important work and it's not always acknowledged and it's fucking exhausting
0: oh well that my, my heart just grew three sizes that's amazing uh thank you and I, I appreciate that and i also appreciate that you know i don't see myself as an expertise in this field i'm just a guy telling my story so i appreciate that like people like you are listening to what i have to say and all well, there was something i was going to say about that which i now forget about um talking about social justice talking about like the group, doing the labor, the labor. Talking,
1: to, talking to non-disabled people.
0: Oh, yeah. Also, like, you can – I love doing that work, but I'm also showing you ways you can fuck me, and it's awesome. So, like, <laughs> that's, that's like, I'm, I'm doing social justice with my dick out, being like, hey, I'll teach yeah. you about social justice, but here, let's, let's also move to the bedroom. So, like, I'm trying to make disability justice sexy as fuck. That's my plan, goal.
1: And, and we can't leave that out of the discussion. Like, we cannot leave pleasure out of the discussion – for any of these movements um and for anyone who's talking about bodies in any way which by the way like that's all we are that's what we're living in bodies meat sex. meat.
0: sacks, and sex. so
1: well I don't eat meat so oh. that freaks me out um <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> but I mean am I meat like so if someone ate me would they not be I don't know um <laughs> but wait now I've lost my train of thought with meat sacks oh that if anyone's talking about bodies, and if we're human, we're in bodies, it's like, this stuff has to be on the table. And the idea that sex is constantly put in a different shelf in a different section of the store, in the corner, you know, under the tape, like is bullshit.
0: Yeah, totally completely. And I completely agree with you. And I think all that's why that's what I love with this show, too. I'm starting to do more and more episodes that are not sex based. Like, solely on the act of sex and trying to look at it outside. So, I'm learning so much from just listening to people connect their day to day stuff to their sensuality and their bodies. It's just, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tristan Teramino, how, oh, I said it right. How do you, how, how, how can people get a hold of you?
1: I am, I actually do my own social media. Um, so I am across all social media platforms at Tristan Taramino, T-R-I-S-T-A-N-T-A-O-R-M-I-N-O. It's not like it sounds. And that's my given name. So, you know, that's what I'm, that's what I ended up with. Um, my website that's not safe for work is puckerup.com. My website that is safe for work is tristantaramino.com. I'm also working on a new memoir, which is a departure from all of my other writing, and people can support my memoir for as little as $2 a month. Patreon.com slash Tristan Yes, yes,
0: yes. I'm going to be hitting that, that support button in like two seconds, because that's amazing. I'm here for this. Um, that'll all be in the show notes. Tristan, this was such a fun conversation, and thank you for taking the time today. Uh, I loved it, and we will, you and I will talk... Really soon. Really soon. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. My name is, of course, Andrew Gerza, and thank you so much for listening and helping the show go. I really appreciate that you all listen and that you come back every week, and I love doing it, and I love shining a bright light on these topics, so thank you. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com where you'll find my writings, some cool videos I've been in, and you'll see where I've been talking, where I've been doing talks. And if you want to hire me to talk, you can do so there as well. If you want to follow me on the social media, you can put in all my handles on Insta, Twitter, and Facebook at The Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast specifically, you can follow us on Twitter at disaftdarkpod or on Facebook at facebook.com disabilityafterdark. This show is a completely independent production. I literally record the show here in my bedroom in Toronto, and that's awesome. So if you want to support this fully independent program, you can head over to patreon.com, /disability after dark and you can pledge $1 a month to get the show early and get really cool perks like that and i i will give you a shout out on the air and thank you for your support it would be super awesome if you could also leave a five star review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast so that this show all about sexuality and disability something we don't talk about enough can get more traction and more people can hear about the show Lastly, if you want to be a part of Disability After Dark, you can submit your suggestions, story ideas, or your minisodes to our email inbox, disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next time, right here on the program Shining a Bright Light, on sex and disability, Disability After Dark. New episodes of Disability After Dark will be available every Thursday on your favorite podcast app. Also available to Patreon subscribers one day early on every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Copyright notice. Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Cripple Content Creations with music by Chris Sugiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2019.